Well, today we're going to unpack a little bit more as the picture of Jesus continues to expand in the Gospel of Mark, uh, answering the question, who is Jesus? This would be one of the central things that Mark is trying to uh, reveal to us as Jesus is walking with his disciples day by day. In fact, the question will actually come up. Who do people say that I am? Who is Jesus? For you and I to answer that question is one of the most important things we would ever be able to do. And so it's our privilege once again to be bathed in the Word of God, uh, the written Word, the living Word, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us and then gave us His flesh that we might have real life. We're going to be looking at... uh, Uh, Mark 8, verses 14 through 21, this morning as we meditate on that question and see where Jesus leads us. Mark 8, at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand... How many baskets full of pieces, broken pieces, did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? May God give us wisdom as we Meditate on that this morning. Don't you understand? In some ways, this is a difficult passage, but we're going to dig into it because it's here for a very good reason for us. I don't know if you've ever felt uh, ill-equipped when somebody asks you a question uh, that you are expected to know the answer to. Uh, when you're put on the spot, and um, maybe you remember, I've done that here a few times. Uh, I've done that in other circumstances as well where I would ask somebody a question, and, and in my mind, the answer to that question is so obvious, I'm not putting anybody on the spot. I'm giving them the opportunity uh, to give the right Sunday school answer, only to find out as I look at the person waiting for their answer, they have this deer-in-the-headlight look in their face, and they have no idea what they're supposed to say. But they know they're supposed to know. Uh, I've been in those circumstances before, too, where a teacher will ask a question. And especially when, it's, uh, when you're a seminary student and the, and the question is something about the faith that you're here to profess and you don't know, or maybe you think you know, but you're afraid to say it because you're afraid you'll have the wrong answer. 
Ever have that? And if I've put you in that position, I apologize. That's much of where the disciples are at today. That's what shapes this whole conversation. There are things that the disciples ought to know. And Jesus is asking them questions and it seems as if they have no answer. As we look at this, uh, to start out with, there seems to be uh, some confusion. I don't know if you noticed that uh, in the passage as it was being read that um, I'm not exactly sure what they have and what they don't have. Uh, Do the disciples have bread with them or not? If you look at uh, verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them. The opening line brings us to this place of confusion. I'm not sure if I understand. They forgot to bring bread, but they have a loaf. So uh, is there more clarity to that? Is there, is there something that we're missing? Are, are they, did they forget themselves that they have bread with them? We forgot to bring bread, but oh, oh yeah, oh, that's right. We still do have one loaf. When you look at verse 16, and they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. The passage starts off with this bit of confusion as to what do they have? And, and how is it that uh, the disciples now when they've been in these circumstances before where you know that you're going someplace, and you're going to be tied up for a while. Shouldn't you have learned by now to bring enough bread for the journey? That's why they have these, these small packs that they were carrying when they, when they were talking about the, the baskets full left over after the 5,000. These were little small knapsack types of things, just enough to carry a little bit with you for the day. Didn't they know that they should all have something with them? Did they forget that when you're going on a journey, you take something? Don't we do that when we, when we take a trip? Did you, did you remember to bring the snacks for the, for the ride, the Twizzlers and the Chex Mex or whatever you want to have on the ride? I mean, and do we have stuff for the way back too? You got your toothpaste and your toothbrush? And, I mean, you took those things, right? Because we're going someplace and we should bring those. And yet here the disciples are going out on a place where they know that they're going to be gone long enough because they recognize at some point we don't have any food or we don't have enough. It's kind of an interesting story in the way it begins. Actually, when when Jesus starts to uh, interject in the conversation, uh, does he bring uh, more confusion to? Uh, Look at the verse pardon the pun, sandwiched in between those two. Uh, And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The disciples are talking about, we don't have bread or we don't have enough. And Jesus is concerned about yeast or leaven. They seem to be talking about the whole loaf And Jesus is only talking about one ingredient. But he's talking about 
the yeast and leaven of, of the Pharisees and of Herod. Why, why does it seem as if they're not even on the same page as they are in this discussion? If you look at uh, what Jesus is cautioning them against, it, it maybe brings another level of confusion into the circumstance here. When it comes to the, to the leaven of Herod, what does he mean? Herod isn't mentioned much in Mark. Uh, Herod is mentioned when it comes to the death of John the Baptist. Uh, but even in uh, Herod's dealing with John, John the greatest of uh, the prophets born among men, as Jesus said, Herod wanted to listen to John, but then Herod also gave the orders to have him executed. John and Herod had this awkward relationship where John the Baptist condemned Herod for his actions, and yet Herod was still kind of intrigued by him. But ultimately, he had John beheaded. The Pharisees, on the other hand, when it comes to... Uh, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, maybe that's already, again, uh, part of the problem, but growing in you, that, that understanding of, of who the Pharisees are, maybe that's a little bit more uh, clear to see what Jesus might be talking about there. The Pharisees uh, never accepted the work of Jesus' divinity. Uh, we read that uh, in Mark 2. When, when Jesus is healing a man, but then forgiving his sins, they, the Pharisees say, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here Jesus is trying to reveal himself to them, and they're missing it. They're missing it completely. They're so close in that question. But they never accept his divinity. They never understood his mission. Mark 2.16, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They never understood who Jesus came for, what his mission was in the world as far as reaching those that are lost and vulnerable, those that need to be redeemed. They never understood Jesus' mission. So when they saw him engaging in it, it didn't make any sense to them. They even got so far down that slippery slope of not understanding Jesus that they, they claimed he had a demon. Mark 3.22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed of Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. Not only do they not recognize his divinity, but they even attribute the works and the powers that he's doing to the devil himself. And nothing Jesus did in their sight was ever enough. This is, this is a verse that is characteristic from Mark 8, 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They were not necessarily looking for evidence to believe in him. That's been given all along. 
What they want is some way to test him. And not so that he'll pass, but that he'll fail. They always mean to trip him up. That's the condition of the Pharisees. This is why Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't don't fall into their trap. So you begin to see that uh, Jesus is talking about something uh, more on the spiritual nature, whereas the disciples are still stuck in this, I don't have anything to eat. This is just another instance of the disciples failing to grasp um, what Jesus is showing them. So the question I have next uh, is, um, are the students failing the test? I firmly believe that Scripture is this um, mirror that we stand in front of, and it's meant to reveal something to us so that we will be transformed uh, because of what we see by the Word of God. And the Scriptures always give us uh, that test that we can re-examine ourselves. That's what we do when we come before the Lord in the Lord's Supper. We examine ourselves to make sure that we still live our lives in such a way, sinful and fallen yet, but being redeemed and acknowledging our sin, that the Word of God has shown me that I need His forgiveness. So are the students, are the disciples failing the test? Jesus, when He, when he starts to interact with them, He just starts to pommel them with a, a boatload of... I'm just full of puns today, aren't I? He just keeps coming at them with question after question after question. And I, I don't, this, this is the one thing that you, you learn in this life with the technology that we have. When you only see a written word, you can't necessarily hear the way it's being said. I can send you a, a text and you might understand that completely differently than what I meant by it because you can't hear me saying it. So I don't know exactly how Jesus uh, was saying this to his disciples but I imagine there's a level of frustration just given the types of questions he's asking. He just keeps coming at them with a barrage of questions. He starts out, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why are you talking about not having bread? I mean, if, if Jesus had to stop for an answer after every question, the, the disciples would have the, the same look on their face every time. Um, what answer do you give? And he doesn't just stop at, at one question. He just keeps firing them off. In fact, uh, Jesus' accusation of his disciples are so strong, um, it actually sounds like much the way he, dress, he addresses those outside of his circle. When we did that uh, whiteboard here and we looked at the different 
the different circles, Jesus being on the center and the disciples moving closer and closer to that, uh, those that are on the outside still have no real understanding of Jesus. And that's the way Jesus talks to those people. And he asks them questions and he reveals their character to them. And now he's asking questions, revealing some of those same things to his disciples. In Mark 3, verse 5, he looked around at them at that point when Jesus was going to heal the man with a withered hand. Uh, he looked around. This, so he's speaking to the, the Pharisees now. And he says, grieved at the hardness of their hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he was restored. The Pharisees didn't see what Jesus was doing. And Jesus said, you are such a hard-hearted people. The same condemnation or the same question he's asking of his disciples now. Are you so hard-hearted? The same, the same implication that he said of those outside the circle, now he's applying that to those in the inner circle? Another time, when it said in Mark six fifty-two, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is not the first time Jesus has even accused his own disciples of being hard-hearted. And again, it's having to deal with the loaves and the bread and what Jesus is doing, and they still don't get it. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Hear this. This goes back. So he's, he's asking the disciples the question, can't you can't you see or hear? Jeremiah says, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. This has been something that God has been trying to get his people to do from, from the beginning, to hear what God is saying to his people, to see what he's doing among them. Israel was often condemned for not seeing, not hearing. And now... His inner group of disciples are being asked that same question. Don't you hear? Don't you see? I don't know about you, but I think at this point I'd be getting um, rather depressed as one of Jesus' disciples. Feeling condemned and unworthy and falling short, and I should have been learning all along, but I haven't been. And now he even calls me hard-hearted, deaf, and blind. Even when Jesus gives them clues for the tests that they're enduring, they still seem to be clueless. Mark eight nineteen. when I broke the five loaves for the five thousands, how many basket full of broken pieces did you take up? This, is, this would be like um, uh, when you're taking a test or a quiz or whatever and you don't know. And uh, maybe, maybe this would be more like, so if, you're, if you have to spell a word, uh, could you use it in a sentence, please? Uh, give me a little bit of a hint. Uh, could you help me out a little bit? If you push me in the right direction a little bit, maybe I'll, maybe I'll know. So Jesus is dropping a few clues here as to why they don't seem to be understanding what he wants them to see. 
Do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many pieces there were? How many, how many baskets? Do you remember that, right? So I'll help you along. I'll give you a clue. Gives them another one. And what about the seven loaves for the 4,000? How, how much was left over then? You wonder if it was helping yet. Is it, are these clues given to them that are, oh, ah, yeah, I get it now. It doesn't seem to be. It seems as if they're still clueless, which is why Jesus says, do you not yet understand? I would feel so uncomfortable sitting in the boat with Jesus. Knowing that I'm supposed to know these things, that's the, that's the implication. And yet I have no clue almost what he's talking about. And maybe even us as we read through this passage, maybe we're in that place too. I, I, I don't know either. We're talking about our daily food and he's talking about Pharisees and Herod. And he accuses me of hard-heartedness and not being able to see or hear. Jesus doesn't want to condemn them. He wants to motivate them to see. And you've got to love that little word, yet. Do you not yet? This is another incidence where Jesus is trying to show his disciples who he is and what his mission is and what they need to know. They didn't get it previously and their hearts were hardened. He tried again and it didn't seem to help much. Do you not yet understand? And in there is that hope that Jesus is going to continue. You don't see it yet? He doesn't throw up his hands. It's, a, it's an invitation to keep learning, to keep understanding, to keep seeing, keep hearing. I love that about Jesus, the way he persists in his teaching. So the last question for us, are you getting the message? Put yourself in the position of the disciples with Jesus. Are you getting it now? I'm not going to put you on the spot. But this is where he's leading the disciples. Do you not yet understand? Is there something we ought to be examining, something we ought to be digging in deeper about when it comes to what Jesus is showing us, what he's saying to us? What is he saying? What is he saying to the disciples now? What is he saying to us? What are we to learn from this? I think when we look at that time of confusion at the beginning, and they said that they 
don't have any bread with them, uh, but they do have the one loaf? It's not specifically clear what's being talked about, but I would suggest to you that when they say we have no bread, but they do have one loaf with them in the boat, that loaf is Jesus. Whether they actually have bread or whether they don't have enough bread, there is this reference made to the one loaf with them. It's obviously not clear to the disciples yet. But as you continue in the journey through Scripture, you will find that the one loaf is, that one loaf is Jesus. You look at um, John's Gospel, John 6. Jesus said to them, you know, and this is, this is roughly because uh, John's Gospel uh, does include a similar time to where this is being said to where we're looking at here in Mark after the feeding of the 5,000 and, and things are progressing along. This is what John says roughly around that same time frame. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John records these words of Jesus to the disciples that says, I am the bread. You only have one loaf with you? You only need one loaf. This is, this is only one loaf for a dozen of disciples. One loaf for a dozen. Go back to his questions again. How many loaves were there for the 5,000 people? And how much was left over? And how many loaves were there for the 4,000 people? And how much was left over? Why are you so worried that you only have one loaf? There's only 12 of you. That one loaf has always been enough. One loaf, when it's Jesus, is an abundance. You know, the longer, the longer you know Jesus, knowing his character, knowing his mission, his love, his redemptive power in the world, the more you know Jesus, the more you have of him. Do you realize that? The more, the more you know, not just about him, but the more you actually know him, the more you have of him. If you don't know his redeeming power, you don't have that yet. If you haven't received his grace sufficient, you don't have it yet. The more you begin to know about Jesus, the more you receive from him, the more you have of Jesus. That comes in the contrast from John 10.10 10, where the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The mission of Jesus for his people and for those that would accept him as their Lord is that they would not just have some, but they would have Jesus in abundance. Jesus went on to say in John's Gospel, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what we're here to celebrate today, the the fact that we have life in Jesus' name, life in, in the completed works of Jesus Christ on our behalf. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the bread, he said. And so as the disciples are wrestling with this idea of not having enough and wondering who will provide for this situation that they're in now, Jesus wants them to see beyond uh, the temporary. But we, we saw in the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, Jesus gives food for those that need the food. But there's so much more behind that. Philippians 4 gives us that. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That means he will sustain us in this life with what is needed for the body. But ultimately he will give us out of his glorious riches all that we need to carry out the mission that he has so wonderfully included us in. His provisions are endless. You and I could actually be held against our will in some camp uh, as people have throughout the generations. Christians being held in places of captivity and food withheld and maybe some of them starved to death. Does that mean that Jesus failed? Well, if, if the goal of this life was always to have three square meals a day, then yes, he failed them. If the idea is for him, for, for all of us to get to know Jesus more intimately, more deeply, so that we will become more like him, then even in those times where people may be starving for lack of bread, they would recognize within them that I have bread that no one can take away from me. I have life that even if I breathe my last, it only rushes me into greater and fuller life. The disciples are wrestling with this question. Jesus comes at them as every good uh, rabbi would and just hit them with more questions to make them think. We've heard those questions and maybe even as you and I heard them today, we felt uncomfortable. That's okay. If you don't yet understand, we need to be assured that Jesus is constantly working on us, working in us and working through us to make him more like himself, to be Jesus yet in the world today. That's what we need to understand. Jesus is our life. It's what we're going to celebrate today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for life in Jesus' name. Not just for an existence, not just to uh, make it through or survive, but you have come to give us life and give it abundantly. And we have that in Jesus' name. And so Jesus, deal gently with us as we continue in our growth, 
Help us to make that our aim, to continue to know you more, to seek after that abundant life that is still there for us to receive. And Holy Spirit, stir within us, remind us of the words that have been planted deep within us and cause those things to grow that they might change us and transform us so that we can be agents of transformation and hope and redemption in our world today because it is desperately needed. So take these words, Father. May they have their full effect on us today that we may celebrate afresh today life in Jesus' name. Amen.